episode 16 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards, the thinnest, strongest, yet most durable mouthguard on the market. They use a diffusix technology, Gumby. It works with a unique impact-absorbing perforations and a special crumple zone, quote-unquote, which directs the impact forces away from your teeth. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds really good. And you know what? The best part about them is that in addition to saving your chompers, they are extremely extremely comfortable while you're rolling and to me that's number one so you could head on over to sisuguard.com go ahead find the right mouth guard for the sport that you do sisu mouth guards brings you top turtle mma and we of course cannot thank you enough for getting us in your eardrums each week you could catch us on TuneIn, stitcher soundcloud itunes basically anywhere a podcast can be streamed and of course you can always go to the mothership mma-manifesto.com Click on the podcast tab. That's where we live. Of course, I'm joined by Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA Manifesto. You can follow him at Gumby Vreeland on Twitter. You can follow the show at Top Turtle MMA. And of course, you could email us at TopTurtleMMA at gmail.com. Sisu Mouthguards presents episode 16 of Top Turtle MMA, which will start right after the royalty-free music I downloaded online. And I'm now going to play for you, our listeners. All right, we are rolling. I am David Tremonti, your co-host, joined by Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. And Dan, as of today, taping this on a Tuesday night as the Connor world turns, his main event with Nate Diaz at UFC 200 is still canceled. It's still off. Yeah. And did you get the... I mean, I've just been eating this stuff with a spoon. I, I don't know about you... Uh, I'm eating it with a large spoon. Yeah, I mean I, every day. I it's. It, I don't want to scintillating. Be, I don't want to be that person, you know, that like thinks that this is the most interesting thing on the planet. But it's the most interesting thing on the planet. I find myself with a little little bit of prep time at work where I I don't have anything to do, and I I gotta be like, what's going on with Connor right now? And I look. So let's let's reset because you and I taped a show and then right after we taped that show, all hell broke loose um, where Connor tweeted, I'm retiring young. Four hours later, Dana White said he was pulling Connor McGregor off the show. You and I texted back and forth like a couple of little girls and we were both of the mindset that this might be a play to drive interest in the UFC 200 because... You know, I mean, I don't think people were loving the card. I'm going to be honest. As an avid UFC and MMA fan, I was way more excited about 99. And 98. And and maybe even 98 than I was about 200. And just to, again, set the stage, 98, you have a heavyweight matchup between Stipe Miocic, um, someone we believe deserves a title shot now yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Going against Verdum, um, it's in Brazil, Curitiba, so you have Anderson Silva against Uriah Hall, which is a matchup I called for earlier in the year. I said I'd like to see some of the you know the legends fight younger guys to try to establish their name. And that's, that's exactly what that is, and not only is it that, it's an excellent style. A matchup. lot of spinning stuff might come out of a that fight. A lot of spinning shit. So, you know, you have that, um, the debut of Cyborg, such a fun show. And then at 199, you have Luke Rockhold versus Chris Weidman, which was an awesome matchup back in December. Um, you know, eh, Rockhold won. Weidman's my guy. I'm loyal to the Henzo Gracie fighters. Uh, but now he puts a, a stamp on it. You know, he either proves it wasn't a fluke and it wasn't just a spin kick gone wrong. And then the co-main event of 199 
is Dominic Cruz. He's going to put on a Neo footwork clinic against Uriah Faber. Awesome. I, I love it. And, and you know what else, too? So we talked about those two cards being maybe better than 200. I'll tell you what. I'm pretty damn excited about Amsterdam in two weeks, too. And we'll break down that card coming up. Arlovsky Overeem. Arlovsky Overeem. You've got a Gunnar Nelson versus... Um, the Russian guy there that you like. Tumanov. I, I looked at that earlier today. I forgot that fight was even happening. Yeah. It's awesome. And, and you know what? You can say what you want about Stefan Struve versus Bigfoot Silva, but you know it's going to be somebody getting knocked silly. So on um, our Twitter account this weekend, I decided I wanted to list the 200 problems with UFC 200. And here are kind of my main ones with UFC 200 and why even before all this drama with Connor and Nate, what was just sort of... I guess a little disappointment for me. You have Misha Tate going against Amanda Nunes. And Amanda Nunes, fine challenger. I like Amanda Nunes. But Holly and Ronda are both out there. And I would say more deserving of a title shot than Amanda Nunes. I I would agree with that probably. So I have a little bit of a problem with that. Then you have Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo. I love Frankie Edgar. I, you know, we've already seen them fight, uh, which is fine. That was for the featherweight title about two years ago. But, you know, Connor holds this up because we don't know if it's for an interim title. The fact that it was, or if it's for the real title, if Connor's just, if the UFC is going to make him give up his world title. And then it was going to be weird if Connor was on the show, but two people were fighting for an interim title for the yeah. belt that he carries. It, it's really weird. And the, the other thing about that, too, that I will say is what really what UFC 200 is missing. And you, you just mentioned those two big title fights. It's missing a crossover star, right? Because if UFC 200 is going to do epic numbers, mm-hmm. it needs to do epic numbers by bringing in fans who wouldn't normally order it. Any, any UFC or MMA fan is ordering UFC 200. Right. It's, a, it's a monumental show. But Connor, Ronda, even maybe Holly Holm to some extent brings the crossover fan. And I'm not sure they have that if Connor stays off. Right. So, and I just want to keep going on on with this, though, the rest of the card. Johnny Hendricks, Kevin Gastelum, we talked about this before. Not, you know, not all that exciting. No, it's two guys who've missed weight before that have been vilified by the UFC themselves, and now I'm supposed to get excited because they're fighting each other. Yeah, and and, and Gastelum's like JV Bud Light of Johnny Hendricks. Yeah, and now that, that Johnny Hendricks isn't knocking people out in 9 and 11 seconds, I'm, I'm a little bit less interested in his fights, to I'm be ex- fair. And I'm excited by Kane um, versus uh, Travis Brown, but I... I also, when it comes to Kane, I can't let myself get excited. It's like a jilted lover. I don't oh. even know if he's going to end up fighting that night. Uh, I, I mean, I, I believe he's going to get fight, but I also don't believe that that fight is all that exciting in that I think there's only one way that fight can go. With Kane just I, wrestle fucking him. And- I mean, Kane wrestling him, getting on top, dropping down ground and pound. You know, like second or third round TKO, probably. So, I mean, that one I have less of a problem with. It is what it is. That That might be, to me... It, as far as like a fight fan, the most exciting fight. That's what I'm thinking. As far as action goes, isn't that, and that's insane. That that and yeah, and it's fourth to the end. Like I'm not like all jacked up about either of the title fights or the potential main event. You know how excited I was last week, and we'll talk about it later. Yair Rodriguez versus Andre Feely. That was an exciting matchup. Yair Rodriguez is an exciting prospect. Who's the prospect they put on 200? Answer, just, Sage Northcott. Just Sage Northcott. And he's the only one, too. Jake Matthews fighting two days prior. Yeah, against Stevie Ray. Who That's is a great fight. Amazing. Why is that? That should kick off the main. See, I'm slamming things. Maybe not even emphasis. the main card. Call it, you know, that could be the last 
Fight Pass prelim. Sure. Or it could be the last. Take my money now. FS1 prelim. That is a phenomenal fight between two prospects who would benefit from having the elevated stage of a crazy UFC 200 pay-per-view and could be future stars for the organization. John, John, sorry to cut you off. John Jones was on the prelims of UFC 100. Jake that O'Brien, was, right? Yeah. Irish Jake O'Brien. Exactly. And that was a strategic move on the UFC's part. They knew a lot of eyeballs were going to be on 100. They knew John Jones was a rising star. They knew what they had on their hands with him. And I guess that's what they're doing with Sage. But, you know, hey, the book's still out on Sage. We just saw him get choked out by Brian Barberina. I... I think I would have liked to seen a Korean, a Korean Superboy, uh, Jake Matthews, um, even Johnny Hollywood Case, who just lost. Yeah, and Chris Wade. Guys, I mean, I would have liked to seen the Gunnar Nelson Albert Tumanov fight on that card. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's a couple months later. Maybe those guys didn't want to wait a couple of it's months. A, but those two guys are killers. So let's get back on track because we just went off on a crazy tangent there, yeah. which is. The UFC 200 card, albeit has big names, but I don't think the matchmaking was their best that they've ever done. And then you top it off, the cherry on top was going to be a rematch of a fight we just saw that only lasted two rounds where Connor looked, you know, outmatched and overworked by the larger opponent. There wasn't a lot of excitement for that show going into it. I don't think that that fight, uh, and I said it when they called it too, that was the least exciting Connor McGregor fight you could book for me. Right. Because if you sent him down to 55 and let him challenge for the title like you were going to do, even okay, yeah. now I get to see whether or not he's able to, to be a two-division champion. Him versus RDA would have been a more interesting UFC I, 200 I, main event, I right? I believe in that. Yeah. Yep. And so, then you could also, I mean, say, force him back to 45 and let him fight Aldo or Frankie, and I think those are more interesting fights. Well, now I think the UFC is regretting not putting their foot down a little bit more with Connor and just making him go back to 145 and so, defend his title. So this almost brings me back to my original point or your original point rather is why is this happening you know like we you talked about it in the beginning he got pulled we there were all kinds of conspiracy theories is are they doing this to build publicity the other option out there too other than this is being done to build publicity could be that like they are realizing that they let this connor monster run away yes so okay that's what i wanted to say so we just outlined the reasons why, if a giant conspiracy is, is happening here, why a giant conspiracy would be happening. There wasn't a lot of interest in 200, and then with one tweet and some drama with a guy being mad at his boss, which every American can get behind, it's what, you know, again, to go back to a wrestling analogy, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon was the storyline that catapulted WWE into mainstream America in the late 1990s. That would be the conspiracy theory for why they did this. But now let's put that to the side. Because so, I, I, I bought that originally, but I don't anymore. I don't anymore. It seems real. It, it seems real. It seems real. So let's go now to where we're at. Connor tweeted on Monday, uh, thanks to Lorenzo and Dana, the fight is back on, hashtag respect or whatever. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because now you're fucking with your own fans. It was obviously a play uh, to try to force you, their I kinda hand. I kind of felt like it was a play right away, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, me too. Yeah. The hashtag respect kind of gave it away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then Dana said, no, he's still off. And basically what this all stems from, if you're to believe, you know, Dana and Connor, uh, is that Connor didn't want to fly in to Vegas to do the press conference last Friday. Um, he was training and... Uh, he didn't want to disturb his training. Now, the UFC has in their contract, Misha Tate brought this up today, they have a clause, you have to do reasonable promotion. 
a press conference three months before the biggest event ever seems pretty reasonable to me. But yeah, I'm, yeah, that's that's a reasonable. Call. Jose Aldo flew in from Brazil. On the other hand, I get what Connor brings to the table. He's not your ordinary bear, and if you want to give him some special treatment. I wouldn't have been mad at that either, but clearly what the UFC did was they freaked out because they felt they had an unruly child on their hands, and they basically said, nope, you're off the, the card entirely, and I think they are even hinting that they're not even going to let him fight at MSG later in the year as like a punishment. I, I don't know if they're not going to let him fight at, at MSG because, you know, they can hint at that now, but I, I think that the the worry is they ripped him off the card. They knew what that seemed to say, and they're afraid of looking like a bunch of bitches if they let them back on. Right. I mean, I think that really what it boils down to. People call Dana White a bitch over a lot of things, but I think, honestly, if he let Conor McGregor back on this card... They'd lose a lot of credibility with the fighters. I mean, he looks like... Yeah. I I mean, it looks like the inmates are running the asylum. Right. You know, like... I just don't... I think the Fertitas and Dana White have massive egos. They own a casino. They know what they're doing. They're kind of gangster. They're not letting them fight on this card, I, to I prove don't a point. I don't think so either. And, yeah, and I think it's it's like that the big balls point. I mean, I have heard another conspiracy theory out there that I'm just going to throw out to kind of give us option number three here. The other option is, is that they're realizing that as a marketing talent, you know, like, this could be a marketing ploy in two ways. Number one. It saves him from getting beat by Diaz again and losing two in a row. Right. Which maybe they believe is a real possibility. And it's number a, well, two, it's a real possibility. And number two, it makes him the face of everything Dana White is not. Meaning? I mean, meaning that now he is the anti Dana White. He is the person who hates Dana White more than anybody. That's something fans would rally behind because fans don't love Dana White. Right. You know, you know, there's nobody out there who when you say who loves Dana White is everybody's going to raise their hand. You would have a room full of his relatives and even only half of them would raise their hand. So the other ploy is here that, yeah, maybe they're a little bit pissed at him. But maybe they also see the added benefit of, hey, we hold him off for, for a couple of fights after that. He winds up fighting Aldo or Edgar. He's got a way better chance at beating those two. Right. And in the end, he we get this weird back and forth play that makes him a publicity, you know. Yeah, mega god. Yeah, I mean, that like a, tweet was one of the biggest tweets ever by an athlete. They That's what's so ironic about this. And I, I actually said this on the podcast last week, but obviously other people have said it in the past week, too. That tweet and this drama has done more for UFC 200 than any than the press conference would have. That's the ironic thing in all of this. But the you know Dana White and the Fertitas are running a business, and they expect their fighters to do media appearances, so they can't let this precedent be set. Now, if we want to go with that conspiracy theory route, what I could see happening again, going on a conspiracy theory. In two weeks, either A, the Fertitas quote-unquote overrule Dana White and put him back on the card against Nate Diaz, or they say, hey, we came to some sort of agreement and he doesn't get the Nate fight, which is what he wanted, quote-unquote, we're giving him someone else, and now they've gotten out of the Nate Diaz fight, then Nate Diaz really gets screwed, so I don't know if that's the outcome here. You know what the other option in there, too, is, and and I thought about this, God, I love these options, so we're on option like fucking 6B. 6B. Sub A. Um, no, what, one of the other options there, too, is that what if they know Aldo's already hurt? Mm, but, I mean, if theoretically, say they know Aldo's got a blown out knee or something like that, he hides it. 
They do all this crap with Connor. Connor's back with like a month to go, and people are in a brilliant uproar to watch him fight Frankie Edgar. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I. you know what? That's genius, for one thing. It would be, right? And if they hit it for a couple of weeks. And also, let's not forget, you remember, this has happened once before with um, Nick Diaz when he missed his media for the GSP fight, and then they pulled him, but then GSP got injured, and didn't he end up fighting BJ Penn? I think they just, I think in that when they switched the fighters, right? Wasn't he supposed to fight GSP for the title? Right. And instead, whoever was fighting BJ Penn got GSP and whoever was supposed to get so that's kind of I will go back like and, a little switcheroo yeah, I'll, yeah. I, I'll go back and have the non-existent intern check that but what I want to kind of say is this is MMA man like anything could happen you're completely right we're Either, three months out we're three months out so you know and I think they're smart enough to know like wow what we have here is incredible like I have people at work coming up to me asking me going what's going on with Connor like, you know, so 200 could be massive. But here's one other thing I did want to bring up, Gumby. Um, okay, so say they make him fight at 201 or 202, which is now currently the rumor here on Tuesday night. I was thinking about it. ESPN did this article how UFC 200 would be losing out on $45 million if Connor doesn't fight under the premise that it would be Jones versus Cormier. Their math was solid. I get it. Um, you know, they took what the Jones-Cormier buy rate was back in last January. It was like around 800000 What Connor would be, they figure they're giving up about four hundred, maybe 500000 in buys, right? That sounds about right. Okay, but here's the thing. They're going to have all these marketing dollars behind two hundred. The hardcore fans were, will certainly be into it because it's a monumental number, XYZ. You'll it's, get a small amount of crossover to just being UFC 200. Right. That's my point. And Jones-Cormier. So let's just say, I'm just throwing out numbers here. If Connor Nate did a 1.5 in March with the 200 boost, maybe they're going to just break that Brock Lesnar-Frank Mir mark and they hit a 1.8. Okay, just hypothetical. They hit a 1.8 million for UFC 200 with Connor and Nate. Now, if they only do a 1.2 for Jones Cormier, it did 800,000 the first time, but now you have John Jones back on his redemption tour. I actually think he got a lot of press and coverage for hitting the woman in his car. And then the 200. No press is bad press kind of deal. So are you with me so far in this hypothetical? Connor Nate gets a 1.8. Connor's going to bring in more. Well, hold on. Okay, okay. Okay, but do you agree with me on that, that it would be about yeah, yeah, a 1.8? Yeah, 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 and yeah. Jones-Cormier, you could reasonably assume a 1.2 because they got an I'd 800. I'd say even maybe more than that. I'd say 1314. 1314. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So now, you, now here's the funny thing. Think about this, people. UFC 101. We don't know what it is. We know Nick Diaz. 201. Sorry, 201. Thank yeah, yeah. you. We know Nick Diaz is hovering around because he's back in August. But let's just say that 201 does their average buy rate. Their average buy rate is like 300,000 for a non-Connor Ronda Rousey fight. So if 201 was going to do a 300,000, but now they push Connor Nate to 201 and it does something crazy like a 1.2 they actually net out higher yeah, for they, 200 they, and 201. The boost to put Connor at 201. The right. boost to put him on a card that sucks versus a card that That's was already getting pressed. pretty good anyway. Is better. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, theoretically put GSP on 201 too. Right. So because if they headline 201, we don't know what it is yet. But if 201 is headlined by Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, it's going to get 100,000 buys. Yeah, it would, it would do terrible. Right. Sorry, Mighty Mouse. Sorry, Mighty Mouse. We love you. But um, anyway, so I, that was a thought I had. Now, I just have to throw this out there for our loyal listeners. And we thank you so much for being loyal listeners. We are taping this on Tuesday night. UFC has a press conference scheduled for MSG tomorrow. This, and this probably knowing you know the amount of time it takes us to turn this kind of stuff around. 
you're not going to get this in your ear before that press conference. Right. And so for all we know, here's a couple of possibilities. They announce tomorrow that it will be Jones Cormier. I think Cormier is going for an MRI, but he said it feels good. They probably feel fine to announce it. Or they bring the GSP rabbit out of their hat. Or Connor magically shows up. I don't know. I mean, they, they can have other stuff in there, too. I, I There are a plethora of possible answers out there. I mean, like, you know, th- there's nothing. I mean, they said Woodley... Uh, Lawler is going to be 201, 202, right. somewhere in that, that range. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if something got shifted around there, too. Um, so much shit is up in the air right there, now. And it's of kind it. of fun. Yeah, it's it's really fun. I, I do have to say one last thing, and, and then we'll wrap up, which is I have just had this feeling ever since, you know, when Ronda said she would fight again at 200, this was before the Holly Holm title defense in November, she said, I'll come back at 200. And then after she brutally lost, you start to hear, no, it's going to be more towards November. I have always felt like 200 has been a little cursed, you know, and now, so it was Connor or Ronda would obviously be their one and two plans for 200. If anything, I bet a year ago, UFC was thinking, we'll stack 200 with Ronda and Connor and break 2 million buys. And neither looks to be possible now. And I just feel like UFC 200 almost might get outshined by UFC and MSG in November. Because I think they could load that card up. Yeah. Just the way things are aligning. It's almost like a nice backup plan for them, too, right? Like, hey, maybe 200 didn't work out. That's cool. We're going to New York in a bit. All right. So with that said, we actually have a little bit of inside info with our next guest. Uh, We spoke with Patrick Cote. He's friends with GSP. We asked him a question about um, GSP's chances of coming back for 200 and we'll play you that interview right now again bear in mind whatever he says could just be destroyed tomorrow at this press conference have to throw that out there um but this interview is brought to you by new england submission fighting new england submission fighting a mixed martial arts gym in the lovely quaint and picturesque town of amherst massachusetts that's on the western half of the state gumby if you're in northern connecticut eastern upstate new york or southern vermont you're close enough come on by you will not get better no gi submission grappling in this area new england submission fighting is located on route 116 in amherst massachusetts massachusetts go to their website amherstmma.com new england submission fighting brings you our interview with patrick cote This is David Tremonti with Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and I am here with UFC veteran Patrick the Predator Cote. He fights Cowboy Donald Cerrone at UFC Fight Night 89 in Ontario, Canada. Patrick, how's training going, and how excited are you to fight in your homeland of Canada in June? Uh, Everything's going pretty well. I'm healthy. We're a little bit ahead on the schedule, and uh, yeah, I'm very happy to fight in uh, in Taiwan. You know, fighting in Canada for me, it's uh, it's pretty good. I think I'm 17 and one or something like that. So I'm pretty successful uh, fighting Canada. Definitely a home field advantage. And you are in the co-main event of this, of course. Rory McDonald is fighting in the main event against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, and tickets sold out extremely fast. How do you feel about the state of Canadian MMA right now? Uh, you, you know, the UFC hasn't run a lot of shows there, but I think this is surely a sign that you know there are plenty of MMA fans in Canada. Oh, 100%. Uh, this is, uh, that was, I think that was a record for a little smith fight night. You know, the cell uh, was sold out in an hour and 15 minutes, I think so. So it's pretty crazy. And just, uh, like you said, show that, uh, 
the, the MMA in Canada is very healthy and uh, you know there's a lot of fans and they want more shows uh, in the UFC uh, in Canada so uh, I'm very excited very happy that it's going to be sold out it's going to be loud it's going to be fun and uh, every time I fight in Canada I feel that the the support from uh, from the crowd and uh, it's going to be the same in Ottawa. Well, that's awesome. Now, your opponent, uh, Cowboy Cerrone, you know, seemingly you guys are almost, it's very, it's a very even match. You know, he's a primarily a Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter. You the same. H- how do you feel? How do you match up with uh, with Cowboy? I think I match up pretty well. I think I match up pretty well with everybody on the once on the roster at once of any time. Uh, uh, you know, Cowboy is one of them. Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a big welterweight. I'm gonna impose myself. I'm gonna put a lot of pressure. I'm gonna back him up. And uh, you know, for me, uh, I don't want to say it's gonna be easy night, but I feel that this matchup it's it's one percent on my favor. I feel pretty uh, pretty confident about it. I'll be one percent ready for that that fight. And uh, you know, mentally, I'm ready. There's no doubt in my in my head that uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come out of this, that cage uh, as a loser. So I'm going there. And uh, I'm I'm pretty confident I'll be able to finish that guy too. So I I, I can't wait. Ah, strong words. I love it. Well, and you are on a three fight win streak right now. And obviously, you don't want to look past your next opponent too far. But obviously, Cowboy Cerrone, even though he's relatively new to 170 pounds, he's a big name. Obviously, and this would be your fourth win in a row over a guy who's main evented a lot of shows here in the past couple of years. Where do you go if you do beat Cowboy Cerrone? What would be the next step up in competition that you would want? Listen, I've been, I've been top 15 for a year and a half and, uh, nobody, nobody gave me any answer. So after Cowboy Serona, uh, I'm beat Cowboy Serona. I'm going, I, I'm tired of calling anybody in the top 15. So I'll, I'll ask for the champ right away. That, that's what I want. That's, that, that, it seems it doesn't work that, uh, calling somebody in top 15 for me. That so they give me a big name as a Cowboy Serona and, you know, this I wanted a big name or something ranking top fifteen. I think I have the bo- the, the best of the two world right now with, with Cerrone. So I'm gonna be Cerrone, and I'm tired to call everybody in top fifteen and not having any answer. So I'm gonna go for the champ right away. That that's the position uh, where I want to be. So why not? You know, that that that's the thing. I, I like it. I like it. You know, it's almost like that Conor McGregor playbook. You got to be your own agent. You got to just call out the entire world. And so you, we've heard it here first. After you beat Cowboy Cerrone on June eighteenth, you're just going to call out the champ, Robbie Lawler. I try. I try to to get uh, somebody in the top fifteen, top ten, but uh, it seems like uh, it doesn't, doesn't work. And uh, the thing is, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be ranking top fifteen. I'm supposed to be you know, rank maybe 13 or 14, but I have no idea why I'm not there uh, yet. So for, for them, you know, losing against a guy who's not ranked, and and I'm probably one of the most dangerous guys at 170 right now because of the momentum, because of the, the, the streak I have, because of the, the, the knowledge now I have, the experience, and I'm fighting in my old town again. So that, not a lot of people wanted to come here in Canada, so I have to give respect to Cowboy to, to come here and I uh, take that fight in my own turf. But, uh, you know, Cowboy is a fan for it, but it's not going to be a fan for it here. Uh, I'm, he's going to come in, in enemy territory, and, uh, you know, he's not welcome here. So it's going to be it's gonna be a good fight, but at the end of the night, you know, by the end of the first round, it's going to be over. What? By the, all right, I'm already hyped up for this thing. I can't wait now. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Cowboy. Uh, he's brave for coming up there. 
Uh, recently, you know, there was a there was an injury uh, for the UFC on Fox card in April. Tony Ferguson got injured uh, when he was supposed to fight Habib Nurmagomedov. Cowboy, of course, as per usual, volunteered to do the fight. You had a very response on Twi- a very funny response on Twitter, uh, basically saying, "I ain't surprised, motherfuckers." Uh, quoting Nate Diaz, of course. But was I mean, was that actually a concern for you if Cowboy Cerrone had fought and then potentially gotten injured? you didn't really want him to step up in that fight or did you just not care? Um, because obviously you do want to take down a cowboy Cerrone who is a bigger name and you didn't want your fight to be in jeopardy. I signed a contract to fight Cerrone. So in my head, I'm going to fight him, but I'll be in Ottawa Juni team cowboy or not. I'm going to be in the cage. I'm going to fight the guys who are in front of me. When it seems like cowboy tried to fill the place to everybody got injured because he's going, he tried to fight a guy who's ranked like top five in the top five. So for him, it's it's less damage to lose against a guy who's top, who's ranked top five than losing against me who's not even ranked. So for him coming here in Canada and fight me, it's dangerous for him, and it's not gonna it's not gonna look good when he's gonna he's gonna leave here as a loser. So that that's the thing too. You have to think about it. So. Uh, I don't think he tried to get out of our fight, but I feel that uh, he's 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 looking at maybe a little bit uh, taking that a little bit likely because uh, he just tweeted that he got he said that uh, he wanted to he will be available for the UFC 200, but he got this thing on June 18. What after he's gonna be available? But hey, that's the thing. I don't think the doctor is gonna be able to clear him for UFC 200 after our fight. Wow, strong words. I love it. Um, you know, I have to ask you, as a UFC veteran, obviously the day we're taping this right now, there's been just a, a mess of news about what's happened with Connor and the UFC. Connor McGregor, of course, refusing to come to Vegas for the UFC 200 press conference. He's tired of doing the media obligations. Um, he didn't want to fly out from Iceland where he was training. As a veteran, Patrick, w- what's your take on that? Is his request to do less media obligations for UFC 200, is that a valid request? He said he wasn't getting paid to promote, or is it one of those cases where he should just be happy with what he has and go promote the fight? It is and it's not. Uh, there's two two ways you can see that, that situation. Uh, I've been in that position that to fight for the world title and the schedule is just crazy. Yes, it is, but it's part of the job, you know, and the thing is everybody on the UFC 200 card is going to be there at the press conference. So the UFC can make, uh, an exception for only one guy because everybody after is going to do exactly the same. It's part of your job to promote yourself, promote the fight. But yes, you know, at the level of a superstar of Conor McGregor, I can't just imagine his, his schedule of uh, of promoting the fight and all the the TV session and the radio station. It's got radio station. It's it's probably nightmare, seriously. But at the end of the day, it's part of the job too. You know, that's he said I'm not getting paid for uh, for promoting fight just to fight, but that's not true. The thing is, people pay tickets because. You, they, they want to see you because you have a big mouth because you're able to promote the fight. Right. So this is your, this is the person that you are. People buying tickets to see who you are, not only performance. You can see guys who are on the 18, 10 fight streak, uh, winning streak and no, and they're still in the shadow of other people that they're just big mouths and like that. And those guys making money. 
So let me tell you something, man. McGregor has made a lot of money more with his mouth than with his performance. Yes, he backed it up what he said, but he was he was bringing people to watch him because he was you know a genius as prom- uh, as promoting himself. Absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to go on record as saying if he does end up on the UFC 200 card, I think this was something that was written like a WWE storyline, and I think they cooked this up because this has actually brought out more promotion for the event than if he had just done the promotional event. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100% sure. But you know what? I think he tried to to bluff the wrong guy, too. I think he tried to bluff the, the UFC, but when he said, I'm retired, maybe he thought that, uh, maybe the UFC will uh, will bend a knee and say, okay, uh, you can do whatever you want because you brought you brought so many money to the company and all those things. But uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, his bluff didn't work, and uh, now we have this kind of situation right now. Yeah, that's true. I think the Fertitas and Dana White can be pretty gangster when they want to be. Yes. Um, yes. So you've really settled in at a welterweight. Uh, I think you've certainly found a home here. Is it fair to say you enjoy fighting at welterweight more than middleweight? And what might be some of the differences there now with the with the uh, the bigger weight cut? Uh, it's all about the knowledge. You know, now I'm working with professional nutritionists and, uh, I, I went back to school in nutrition to, to understand more about, about, uh, nutrition and, uh, it's, it's all about that. But, I, you know, I didn't have choice anyway to cut to 170. I was too small at the end, uh, at 185 with all the knowledge of everybody got now, the cutting weight and nutrition and, uh, rehydration and all those things. Those guys at 185 are really, really big for me now. So I've always been an average middleweight, but at the end I was very small. So I had to make uh, I had to make sacrifice to be a bigger uh, bigger in my weight class. And now I feel pretty good at 170. I feel faster. I feel more healthy because it's a lifestyle. It's not just a, a, a crazy diet that you know I'm dying to make 170. Uh, it's more now more like a, a lifestyle, and uh, it's going pretty well actually. Now, speaking of, we've talked about the welterweights, we've talked about UFC 200. I know you're a friend of George St. Pierre. I wouldn't be doing my job if I at least didn't ask. Can you give us an inside scoop? Can you give us a prediction? Are we going to see GSP back here? And if so, is it going to be at UFC 200? Man, I would like to give you whatever you want, but I have nothing. <laughs> Seriously, the thing is, uh, George is very, very quiet about it. He's, uh his entourage is very, very quiet about it. I know he's, I know he's still in super shape. I know he trained. I know he's, you know, all the things. But, you know, talking about uh, about his return, he, he's very, very quiet about it. Very shy about it. But it's not gonna happen at UFC 200. That's I'm, I'm, I don't think it's gonna happen. You know, he told me that he's not, he's not gonna save UFC 200. He need time. Uh, he, he want to come back and he want to come back for the for the at the right time and with the right opponent too. I don't think now there's a good opponent for him to come back and make millions. And I don't think the UFC got the good opponent for him to throw millions and millions to promote fight because that's that's the biggest problem right now. It's against who we're gonna put George on this next fight if he's come back. He's coming back. Yeah, that actually that makes a ton of sense. And obviously, if George St. Pierre is gonna come back, he's gonna do it. Uh, you know, in a smart way because that's that's who George is. He's a smart fighter, and you know, there's no denying that. Well. Patrick, we cannot thank you enough for the time. I also want to mention you have a new book out. Is that correct? 
Yes, I have a new book. It's only in French for now. It's been launching since only uh, only two months now, but uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, I mean, two weeks ago, it was, they're, they're, they're launching it in, in France and Switzerland, too. Uh, it's called, uh, in French, it's Everything is Possible, so Tout est possible. It's more a motivational book than uh, it's not a biography. It's more like uh, my uh, where I'm from and all about uh, my, my, my professional career and all those things. And at the end, it's more my philosophy, how... How I built uh, a winning mentality and all those things. So it's it's more like uh, when you're gonna be done with this book, you're gonna say, man, if this guy did did it, I can do it too. So that, that that's the thing. It's it's uh, it's it's a fun book. Very cool. And will it come into? It will be translated into English soon. You think? Is that a possibility? Uh, we'll see. We'll see the response. But I have a lot of, a lot of demand about about that to to be translated in English. So we'll we'll think about it. It's, pro- it's probably going to happen, but uh, not now. It's maybe in, uh, in a couple of months. This has been an interview with Patrick Cote. He fights Cowboy Cerrone on June 18th, UFC Fight Night 89. He's a slight underdog, but he's been a slight underdog in his last three wins, and you heard it here first. He's predicting a win over Cowboy Cerrone uh, in violent fashion. Thank you so much, Patrick. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. All right, so there you have it, Gumby. Patrick Cote. Yeah, and uh, a fun little tidbit there, huh, that you pulled out of them with that one. Well, you know, I, I am a broadcast journalist. It's what I do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Patrick Cote is awesome, man, and I think that fight's going to be good. And, you know, you heard him just be so confident in his uh, in his Muay Thai and his stand-up skills. He said he's going to get a first-round knockout over Cowboy Cerrone. Hey, and he's he's looked good as of late, so you got to give him that. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's react a little bit to the weekend. You know, there is other news in the MMA world besides Connor, Ooh, I know. don't believe that for a second. <laughs> well, on Friday night, you had Bellator at Mohegan Sun. Uh, Benson Henderson suffered the five-round decision loss to the Russian. I can't pronounce his name. Andrei uh, Korshikov. Korshikov. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he just didn't look good, got knocked down a couple of times. Um, I got to say, UFC knows what they're doing with the guys they let go. Yeah, it, it, it had that feeling of it, right? Like, I felt like after the first two rounds... The first thought that came to my mind was Dana was right. Yes. Like, you know, like I just had this like weird feeling in my stomach like, damn, that guy's good. And, and I hate to kind of steal this from you. You said it to me off air, but you were just saying that you were reading somewhere um, or there's word on the street that Benson might even retire soon anyway. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly where I read it because I definitely was just like article clicking uh, site to site to site. Um, and I read somewhere that he said he was planning on retiring at 33. He's, he's 32. Gonna be, he's going to be 33 in a couple of months. He said it might be 33 and 11 months. It might be 33 and 11 and a half months. But he plans on retiring at 33, which gives him about a year's left worth of fights, which, I mean, it's not a lot, right? Like, what's left in his tank? He's not going to be the 170 champ, we would assume, because at no point in time in that fight was I like, oh, Benson could beat this guy. Right. He looked like he was completely outmatched. Right. Yeah. I just, again, I think UFC was fine to let him go. They knew what they were doing. And, uh... You know, we'll we'll move on and we'll see what his next fight is. I think Coker might have said something about wanting him to take the next fight at 155, or he said something sort of uh, subversive, like Benson always looked better at 155. Yeah, and there there are some like decent fights for him at 55 too. But again, that division in Bellator is probably one of Bellator's best, right? Uh, and there are a couple of guys chomping at the bit for a title shot, and I don't know if you can get him in there. 
for a title shot before he's done. If he's telling the truth about when he's planning on retiring, I mean, like, it looks like he's not going to be a Bellator champion ever, which, I mean, just makes their buy look silly. I'll tell you one guy who I would like to see come to the UFC, and that's Michael Venom Page. Yeah, he's he's pretty exciting. 10-0. I, I would, yeah, he's 10-0. and 0. Um, Of the guys in Bellator, he's probably up there for me, too. Yeah, yeah like, uh, the Fieri brothers are always exciting, particularly uh, Patricio. You know, Patricio is, is not necessarily as good, but Patricio is uh, up there. Will Brooks would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And but, I think he's almost out. I think he has one more fight on his contract. Yeah, I feel mistaken. like he's fighting it out. <laughs> he's almost out. Like, it's a prison sentence. Yeah, like, hey, it was for some people. I mean, look at Ben Askren. He tried to get out of that crap the whole time, and now he's stuck in Asia. So um, so that was Friday night. And then Saturday, of course, you had 197. We'll start with the main event, which was kind of a trigger-shy John Jones. Uh, but he put a five-round beatdown on OSP, uh, won via unanimous decision, broke OSP's arm. What were your thoughts on Jones? in his comeback fight. Trigger shy is the right word there. It, it kind of felt like when uh, and, Silva fought. Yes, thought the same Bisping. thing, Bisping. Yeah, yep. it, it just had that feeling like he could finish it if he really wanted to, but he, he just didn't finish it. I, so part of me, you know, he said, I saw openings and I only took 50 to 60% of them. He said he was worried because he had trained for, you know, Orthodox and a wrestler in Daniel Cormier, and then he got switched at the late... Uh, notice to a lefty with a lot more power than Cormier. So he was just being careful. And uh, I'll tell you something. John Jones is a fucking competitor. He's got that like Kobe Bryant-esque will to win. And I think sometimes those guys put on a performance like that when they're being careful because he's he's just too smart is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, And you know what, though, too? And, and this is actually a, a decent segue into the Colmate event. We've seen that from Mighty Mouse Johnson. Right. You know, we've seen Mighty Mouse Johnson win a five round decision against, you know, somebody like John Dodson, who has got loads of power, power. loads of speed. And you kind of got to be careful. So I also have to say, I almost feel like, um, you know, there's all this talk. I hate pound for pound bullshit. It's just like, I don't even care. I don't even want to fucking give it, you know, attention and talk about pound for pound because I think it's a stupid conversation to have. What I want to say is. What was cool about them being in the double co-main event, uh, Demetrius Johnson and John Jones, is there are really actually, when you think about it, very few fighters in history who you could consider complete martial artists. Like, sure, we've seen some badasses come through and utilize their wrestling and utilize their ground and pound. Yeah, somebody like Matt Hughes. Right. You know, Matt Hughes is great, but his stand-up wasn't awesome. Right, and that's exactly it. You know, to me, there are like three off the top of my head just complete martial artists, GSP, John Jones, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, who were yeah, good. Yeah, even Anderson in... Silva's more of a striker than anything else. Ex- right. No wrestling, no top. But those three have shown boxing. Those three have shown wrestling. Right. Those three have shown and submission it's like, skills. I mean, I mean, the submission skills for GSP in, in the Hardy fight are and, just out of this world. And time and again, the person they're fighting who, quote-unquote, has this amazing strength and they're better at than one of the three I just mentioned, they outwork them at their opponent's strength. John Jones out-wrestled Daniel Cormier. GSP out-wrestled Josh Koscheck. And then you saw Henry Cejudo think to himself, well, I'm an Olympic wrestler. Let me clinch up with this guy. Uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. He's got knees for days, son. Yeah, that was I, maybe the last thing I expected from Mighty Mouse. You Same know, I, here. I said he was going to take him to a decision. Man, like, 
I thought Cejudo was the best. I really thought Cejudo was going to be the guy to do it. I, I, well, I said it last week. I'm not picking against Mighty Mouse until he loses on his own. I'll be wrong for the first time he loses, and I'm fine being wrong right. for the first time he loses. Yeah, that's a good way to go about it from a gambling perspective. But, you know, with Jones, I, again, he took the fight on three-week notice. Um, you, they had some corner audio came out today. I don't know if you caught that. It was pretty cool. But Greg Jackson could be heard saying, I don't like the powerlifting. It's Gastem. So no more powerlifting, says Greg Jackson. Interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't buy all of the rusty John Jones. Nah, talk. I don't either. I, I think he was being a little on the careful side. And other than that, I thought he looked just as dominant as he should have. Yeah. I, the only other thing I will say was, you know, OSP, I think, had a longer reach than him, which might be the first time. I, I could be wrong on that. but No, you, I, I think it's maybe not the first time because I think Gustafson. maybe Gustafson did. So, and Gustafson gave him a lot of trouble. Right, and that was my thought was, you know, there's always so much talk about, like, Weidman going up to light heavyweight, Jones going up to heavyweight, Connor going up to welterweight. We saw how that went. Um, I don't necessarily know. I think Jones would be fine at heavyweight. I don't necessarily think I would bank my life savings on him dominating at heavyweight. No, I, I wouldn't at all. Yeah, because you kind of saw even what he was saying with OSP being fearful of his power. Well, hey, guess what, bud? You yeah, know. there's some power in that 265 division yeah. for sure. So do you have any other thoughts? Um, you know, cover Jones here. Uh, we'll see if him and Cormier uh, is the next step in headlining 200. It'll probably break before we even play this podcast. But for Demetrius, do you have a next step? Where would you like to see him go? I mean, it sounds like he's fighting that tough 24 winner uh, when that finally does happen, which, you know, out of the people who are left in the UFC, yeah. apart from a third he's... part with Joseph Benavidez, which, like, I'm not interested. I think the only guy he hasn't beat in the top 10 is ranked number nine. So, yeah. And, and you know, there's nobody who I'm thinking, like, yeah, line him up for, you know, there everybody needs another win or two. And maybe this tough 24 ordeal is just the thing that'll, you know, give everybody a chance for another contender to come out. Hey, Scoggins isn't that far away. I'd love to see Scoggins get another win or two. I like our Taz Mexican devil. Yeah, but he's coming off a loss, right? Yeah, so, like, what else is there? I mean, like, got to work somebody up. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, Wilson Hayes was close. I thought... um, Dustin Ortiz was close, and all of those guys just, I mean, they're not ready yet. Could you maybe throw in, and we saw him fight on Saturday, looked pretty good. Sergio Pettis got the decision win over Chris Kalaitis. Could you throw in a Sergio Pettis and hope he has a TJ Dillashaw-like performance where he just He's, He needs a couple shines. more, too, I think. I yeah. mean, line him up with Scoggins. Mm-hmm. That's a fun fight because both of them can strike. Um, but I'd worry about his takedown defense, especially because he has that loss somewhat recently. Pettis does too. to, um, uh, yeah. Who was that? It was actually the same night that uh big brother lost the title. I think it was to, was it, uh, Oh, Ryan Benoit. Oh, Ryan Benoit, who's a good wrestler. So then you would get that with mighty mouse. So he's got to level out his game a little bit, um, before he's ready. So like one or two more fights in there. So, we can start talking about it. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I just think flyweight's a mess because Demetrius is just destroyed. He's, he's legitimately cleaned out that yeah, division. I mean, you say, like, we used to talk about, oh, GSP's almost cleaned out the division, then he'll move up and fight Anderson Silva, or Anderson's almost cleaned out the division, and they never quite did. Even John Jones, I still need to see him before he moves up to heavyweight. I'd still like to see the Gus rematch, and I'd still like to see him fight Rumble. Um, yeah. Now, the other thing you had on that card 
was almost uh, kind of sad to see, which was Anthony Pettis, third loss in a row, Edson Barbosa, just really outstruck him. You know, Pettis seemed to want to kick from distance. Barbosa was bigger. I've said this a number of times on this podcast. I'm not opposed if he can do the cut. I think Pettis would be better at 145. Yeah, and I actually thought that fight, watching that fight too is I was like, Dave called that a couple weeks ago. You know, seeing Pettis at 145 might be good for his career. And I, I don't know if he can make the cut, but if he can, he needs to seriously consider it because it's just one of those situations where it doesn't look like it's going to happen for him again at 55. No, and, it, or it doesn't. You know, maybe he doesn't look any better at 45, but it's worth a try to save his career. They did say that he went down to Greg Jackson's camp for a couple of weeks, and he now wants Jackson to corner him. Maybe the camp switch. You know, it always takes more than one fight, but if he went down there permanently, sometimes a new camp can do a body good. Yeah, I don't know. And, and Sergio said it did really good for his camp. Right. Because Sergio went with him. So You know, it's just so funny because Styles, make fights obviously and it's just it's funny to think about that had Anthony Pettis stayed on top of the 155 pound division and Connor was coming up and then he beats oh, Jose Aldo so yeah if if Connor's introduction to 155 rather than the RDA fight that never happened or the Nate Diaz fight at 170 if he had introduced himself to the world at 155 versus Pettis that's a matchup that plays into Connor's hands whereas RDA and Habib Nurmagomedov are just going to bully Connor around, I believe. Yeah, I agree. But the thought of you know Pettis moving down to forty-five, maybe he rejuvenates his career, and maybe you get that fight after all. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention, speaking of one forty-five, Yair Rodriguez yep. with just a sick <laughs> knockout of the night, a knee kick to the face. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, He's I awesome. called I called Feely on that one because I thought uh, Yair Rodriguez would be too tentative. Oh, man, was he not tentative at all? Was he not complacent at all? I mean, flying, what was it, a flying switch kick? It was a flying switch kick, yeah. Yeah, which is just like, I mean, damn impressive. And it couldn't have landed any better. If you haven't seen the freeze frame, look up the freeze frame. The freeze frame is so good. So I picked him. um, You know, I'm a huge Jair fan, but I, I thought your points were really valid. And you have to worry when he does face someone like, you know, he's not ready for it yet, but like, the wild craziness and the tendency to fall on his back and, you know, WWE-style drop kicks you can't do that against a Frankie Edgar. No, I'm he, sorry. He's got to straighten his act out together. He's got to get, you know, somebody like Jackson teaching him not to do that crap right? Uh, in order to be champ. And well, I mean, and like, he's with not... Greg Jackson. Is he with Greg yeah. Jackson, really? Yeah. I'm, oh, I didn't even know that. But Wait, hold on. Let me double check that. You know what it is? I know he's with Izzy Martinez, who I think goes back and forth, the wrestling coach from Jackson okay, and Chicago. Okay, so he at least has some of that connection going on. Yeah. But, but you know what? That being said, just because he has him now doesn't mean that he's getting that, like, in his ear, like, hey, man, cut that shit and start fighting to your potential. So, I mean, like, maybe he... I mean, he just needs somebody to tell him that is what I'm saying. He is with Greg Jackson. Is he really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That that didn't seem like a Greg Jackson coached well, set. You know, maybe they're still working with him, and it's one of those things like John Jones, obviously a very creative fighter, upward elbows and whatnot. That, that's true. So, you know, Greg Jackson might kind of like some of that spontaneity. Well, I mean, it get, it definitely got John Jones the publicity he needed to get to the top. Um, so I think Yair Rodriguez versus the Korean Superboy would be a really oh, awesome I fight. Don't, I don't like Yair Rodriguez's chances versus is Duhu Choi, but I didn't like his chances against Andre Feely either. Right. Well, that's what, I think it would be a good fight. Now, the other one to talk about was um, 
Robert Whitaker, friend of the show, put in a good performance at middleweight. Uh, Hefe Natal just proved to me he's a tough guy. Um, yeah, he took some shots. Yeah. Didn't he? So for Whitaker, though, specifically, what's your next step for him? I mean, it to me, you know, we, we constantly say, you know, like when we're talking about what we're going to do with Anderson Silva or what we're going to do with Loyola Machida or what we're going to do with this person or that person, we keep saying uh, they're not ready for one of those top four, you know, in the top three or four that we keep talking about. You got to give Whitaker one of them now. Yeah. You pull the trigger. To. Yeah, pull if, the trigger. If, if Uriah Hall gets Anderson Silva, then Robert Whitaker deserves one of these legends. To, to me, if Jacare beats Vidor Belfort, set him up with Jacare. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Um, you know, if Yoel Ramirez or Yoel Romero actually gets that suspension overturned, 100. Mm. percent Whitaker Yoel. Whitaker Yoel. Yeah. Book it now, man. Because could you imagine if he came out and beat Yoel Romero? That'd be awesome. I mean, he would have to get the next title shot if he could do that. And and you know what? The dude's won five in a row and not against slouches. Right. So book him with a top guy. It's time. All right. So we'll move on now um, from Saturday night uh, and go on to Sunday. If you were a sub-grappling nerd, as Gumby and I are, you were watching EBI 6. Uh, John Danaher is the jiu-jitsu coach out of Henzo Gracie Academy in New York. He has been in GSP's corner for most of his career. He wore a, uh, notoriously wore a tuxedo rash guard to Matt Sarah's wedding. Which is so awesome. Um, and, uh, he has trained, uh, two guys predominantly called the Danaher Death Squad, uh, who have kind of reinvented the leg lock game in sub-only grappling, and that is Gary Tonin and Eddie Cummins, two perennial favorites in EBI. They've both won the EBI before. Cummins uh, was an injury, had an injury last week, and a late replacement was Gordon Ryan, who is kind of their protege. He's like the third member of the Danaher Death Squad, 19 years old, bigger than Eddie Cummins. He ended up winning the entire EBI and looked just incredible doing it leg locks uh was good with just basic bjj submissions choked out two people in overtime his his back control is some of the best i've seen in a really long time because not only did he have excellent back control on a couple of guys but he had excellent back control on two guys who were bigger than him and explosive yeah you know like chisia chisia did you watch Shiziev's overtimes before that? I did. He just busted out of anything as quickly as he could. Right. And it was amazing. He was stuck with Ryan. Yep. I mean, Ryan just held him there. Same with Yuri Samoyes. Yuri Samoyes beat Gary Tonin because Gary Tonin couldn't hold his back long enough. Right. And Ryan not only held his back, but held it for like five fucking minutes. I know. And that's what fucking floored me was when I saw Gary Tonin lose to Samoyes, I'm like, all right, well, Samoyes is winning this fight. Or I figured he'd end up against the Russian Bear in the finals. And then Gordon Ryan beats him. Yeah. That's amazing. And not only beats him, taps him out. Oh, my God. But awesome event. The only thing I'll say, I guess, you know, just maybe because it's a work in progress. It was only the 6-1. The sub-only movement is a little new. We're both obviously big fans of it. I wouldn't be opposed to a I guess like a stalling or just an advancement of position somehow like you did have a couple of matches where um, the guy was working for overtime yeah I thought so too yeah so that I I think maybe they could come up with some sort of rule for that or even like I would be interested to see if they went back in time how many subs came in minute eight to ten of these matches 
I'm guessing not a lot, and if that's the case, maybe just do an eight-round first, uh, eight-minute first round. My my only problem with that is I think the reason you don't get submissions in those last two rounds is they're like in the last two, two minutes. minutes away. Yeah, yeah. I'm two minutes away from overtime. I'll just wait it out. And I think if you shorten it by two minutes, it's going to get to six Same minutes, thing, and they're right. going to go. Eh, I'm two minutes away from overtime. <laughs> I might as well hold on. So I think no matter how much you shorten it, you're going to get that same kind of reaction. Um, I don't know necessarily that it's a problem because they do have an incentive in there already, right? Like you don't get the cash unless you submit them in regulation. That's true. So, I mean, I think they're trying to make that movement, but you're always going to get people who do that. I agree. And and, uh, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Um, I was just thinking maybe more for the casual fan and just sort of, it would be helpful, but I think it's already for a casual fan who's trying to get into BJJ, uh, that event is already 30 times more exciting than any others. No, absolutely. And the only thing that's going to get it better and just get more eyeballs to it is if you have some bigger names do it. Obviously, the names there, you know, Gary Tonin, Yuri Samoys, big in the submission grappling BJJ community. But if you had, and I think he went on the Fighter and the Kid podcast and said this, like Frank Mir is interested in it, or just yeah. like a big UFC guy. Just somebody like that who, who could draw fans. That'd be really cool. Um, yeah. And it'd be cool just to see a UFC guy in that setting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it would be a... Uh, and it would go a long way to open the eyes of people who don't realize how freaking skilled somebody like Gary Tonin is. Yes. Because to me, you put Gary Tonin in against... you know, let, let, Let's take a, a pretty significantly good guy as far as jujitsu is concerned in the UFC. I mean, like... Um, well, we saw, like, Rory McDonald okay. in... Let's take Rory McDonald. Yeah, in Metamorphs. So let's take Rory McDonald. You put somebody like Rory McDonald against Gary Tonin in a grappling match, Gary Tonin, he'll hook all day. Yeah. I mean, know, he, I, almost, not, he, he almost knee-barred uh, Paul Harris. I mean, yeah. He, he worked Paul Harris in a grappling match. It worked him. Yeah. Beginning to end. So, I mean, like, it would go a long way to showing, like, what somebody like Gary Tonin is capable of. Um, the only other thing I wanted to ask you from EBI six was, uh, I wanted to ask you what your favorite match or submission was. Cause I have like a super Ooh. underrated one on my radar. Okay. So let's see. My favorite match was pro. Well, for me, actually, I gotta be honest. It was Gordon Ryan versus Rustam Chiziev because Chiziev looked like such a fucking beast. I was just shocked that Gordon Ryan had made it this far and really, I, I mean, I just thought it looked awesome against Rustam and then obviously getting the win in overtime. But hold on. That's my immediate. What yeah, was the- that, so that was my immediate, too. I mean, like, the way he stalls the Russian Bears' freaking power yeah. with that knee in the shoulder, brilliant. Um, but Ma- underrated one. Matthias Deniz? One of Matthias... No? Those are good picks. Did you see the... The super fight between the 13-year-old girls. Did oh, you yeah, yeah, see yeah. Grace, yeah, Grace Gundrum? Gundrum? yeah. Oh, my God. Awesome. With a freaking dead orchard submission. Yeah. Now, when she was stuck on the bottom, the girl on top stalled a little bit, and it got a little bit boring. Mm-hmm. But as soon as she was in a dominant position, and as soon as she got to work her stuff. See ya. Filthy. I mean, she is, and and they said she was 13. 13. 13, and she's got better rubber guard than I could ever hope to have. (laughs) And she's a 13-year-old girl. And it, I mean, a dead orchard is not an easy move to pull off if you're a newbie to BJJ. And the fact that she nailed it with relative ease on a large scale is just amazing to me. 
pretty impressive. Yeah, that was cool. And I liked how they actually, I think they've had more in the past. I like just having one special match. Um, I think being on Fight Pass, they were more cognizant of timing. Make, yeah, timing. Yeah, they also pushed the matches along really much yes. faster, which I liked because yeah. I don't want to stay up till 2 in the morning to watch this. Same here. But we love EBI, and we look forward to EBI 7. So, Gumby, that about wraps it up for us, unless you have anything else you'd like to tell our adoring listeners. No, I'm just pretty much uh, getting excited for, for Amsterdam, which we'll break down next week. That is correct. Episode six, 17, we will have a breakdown of UFC Amsterdam, and we will also be talking to one of the most important people in UFC history. And we'll yeah. leave that as a little tease. Yeah. So... This has been David Tremonti and Daniel Gumby Reland. We thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums. This is Top Turtle MMA. We will choke you later. <laughs>